Amen. So let's get busy. We, uh, we got a lot of scripture to read today. It is Communion Sunday at Freedom, and we like to take that seriously. And I definitely think the message today is a good communion message. I've titled it Bread from Heaven. Bread from Heaven. And in saying that, we're going to see Jesus... He uses a lot of spiritual language here. He uses physical things, but he's looking at the spiritual, okay? And that's important. You're going to see that the crowd following, they kept thinking physical, and they couldn't get it. And I want to make sure you understand these words are spiritual, okay? Um. We're going through the book of John, we're going through the book of Romans, we're in John today, we left off at verse 22, John chapter 6 has 71 verses, it's a long chapter, and John, whose focus is on Jesus as God, his goal is for us to believe in him so we can have spiritual life in him eternal life that's his goal and he uses 22 verses the first 22 verses deal with miracles two miracles we saw that at the beginning jesus fed 20,000 people out of the air out of nothing only god can create out of nothing and that was clearly what jesus was demonstrating And then he does this private miracle where he walks on the water to his disciples that are out on a boat in a storm. Amazing. But John uses the next 50 verses to talk about the message. The miracle was supposed to point to the message, but the crowd did not get the message they saw the miracle and they wanted the power but they didn't fall in love with the person you know james says that uh, every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of the heavenly lights but you know some people they love the gifts but they don't love the god who is the giver of the gifts. And so this this chapter is really challenging us so we can look at our hearts, examine our hearts. Why are we here? What do we want from God? Because the truth is, it's not what we want that really we should be looking for. It's God himself. God himself wants you to know him. He, he wants to be so close to you. But you must surrender yourself to him. So we left off at verse 22. Let's, let's read this little introduction here as we transition to the message. It says, On the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. 
So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. If you remember, Jesus tries to get away from the crowd because he knows their hearts. They're trying to make him into an earthly king. He would have nothing to do with that. And so he gets away from them, and then he sends his disciples across to get away from the crowd. He doesn't want them to get caught up in this. And But the people, the crowd, they heard Jesus went across. They saw that the disciples went across. So they desperately were seeking to find Jesus. Now you might say, that's a good thing, right? Well, they were seeking Jesus for the wrong reasons. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So they're like, we know the disciples got in a boat and went to the other side. There's no way you could have walked around the Sea of Galilee that, that it's a gigantic lake that looks like a sea. There's no way you could have walked. When did you get here? How did you get over here? Jesus doesn't say, well, hey, I walked across on top of the lake. And then I got into the boat and we were immediately on shore. He doesn't even tell these guys that. Why? Because they were into the power of it. They, they, they wanted, they were fascinated with the power, like I said, but not the person. Verse 26, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, that's not nice. <laughs> Jesus is not being nice, is he? I always say, Jesus is not a nice guy. You know, in our politically correct world, thou shalt be nice. That's their, that's their command. Nobody wants to hear the truth. Jesus told them the truth. He knew what was in their hearts. And he's saying, you guys aren't coming to me because you saw a miracle of God and you want to surrender your life to me and worship me, you're coming to me because you want your bellies full. You're looking for some more dinner. <clears throat> and it was true. It was true. But Jesus said to them, verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him, God the Father has set his seal. Now, I hope you all know, God knows we need to eat, okay? God, Jesus isn't preaching against eating here, okay? The Lord's, when we, when we pray that disciples' prayer uh, that the Lord taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. God knows we need bread. So what is he saying? He's saying, don't spend your entire life striving after physical bread and physical stuff and miss the most important thing you need in your life. 
spiritual bread that can only come from Jesus Christ. And many times in our world, we're so into the physical, got to have this, got to have that, and we miss the person that we need the most. And that's what I say. Sometimes we come in here looking for God. God, please meet my need. Please meet my need. He is your need. And he's trying to get you to come to that first. Um, I think it's important that I explain to you, because Jesus says to them, the Son of Man will give to you. He's referring to himself as the Son of Man. That's so important. This is a title that Jesus often used of himself. And we here today... We know him as the son of God, and he is. And, and the gospels call him the son of God. We know he's God the son. But I'm telling you, the Jewish leaders in this crowd would know exactly what son of man meant. It was a messianic title. It came from Daniel chapter 7. If you've ever been confused about son of man, you need to read Daniel 7. Because Daniel has a vision of the future. And it says that he sees the Ancient of Days, God the Father sitting on the throne in heaven. But all of a sudden, one like a son of man comes before the Ancient of Days. Humanoid, some kind of glorious humanoid person comes. In the Ancient of Days, God the Father gives the Son of Man all authority. And he says, all kingdoms will bow and worship this Son of Man. That's Jesus Christ. So he's clearly the Messiah. So by him saying he's the Son of Man, I guarantee you they were whispering, did you just hear what he said? Son of Man, Son of Man. They grew up learning as a boy the Son of Man is the Messiah, and Jesus calls himself. And God has set his seal of approval on him. And Jesus saying the Messiah is here, and you're missing it. Because you want a physical kingdom. You want physical food. You're worried about taking over the Romans. And, I, and Jesus says, I'm concerned with saving your soul for all of eternity. That's so much more important. Verse 28. Then they said to him, What must we do to, to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, it's a good question because Jesus does say, don't work for food that perishes. In other words, work for food that will give you eternal life. But now he's making it clear that that work isn't some religious work. It isn't some human work that you do. The work is you believing in Jesus. So it's really not even a work you do. You believe in the work he has done for you. That's what he's saying. This is so important, y'all. Every religion in the world today is based on a man-made work system, except for true Christianity. Study them all. Look at them all. 
It's all some religious work you got to do or religious prayers you got to say or religious rules you got to follow if you want to earn your way to God. But Jesus is clearly saying here, you can't earn your way to God. The Bible, especially the book of Proverbs, talks a lot about hard work. Hard work is good. Laziness is bad. But when it comes to reaching God, when it comes to um, having a personal relationship with God, there's nothing we can do to work for that, y'all. It's a free gift of God's grace. And I know people say, yeah, but so there's no work. So yeah, but what about, then you read in the New Testament, we're supposed to love our neighbor, we're supposed to pray for our enemies. Ephesians says we shouldn't be using foul language, we shouldn't be getting drunk, husbands need to love their, all this stuff that we're supposed to do, aren't those works? Listen, those are works that follow, okay? Um, Ephesians 2 says, for by grace you are saved through faith, it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works. But then he says what? But you're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So you reach God by his work. There's not, realizing there's nothing you can do. God, I can't do anything. Save me. And then he puts his spirit within you. And then you have this desire to grow and to walk with him. You don't do those things because you have to. You do those things because you want to. It's not adding works to salvation. You can't. It's the Some people think, okay, I'm saved by grace, but then I got to work as a Christian. No, it's all grace. It's all grace. You're saved by grace, and the only way your life is going to change is by grace. When you focus on Him and surrender to Him and get His Word into your mind and into your life, it will change the way you're living. We're all so works-oriented. And this is something God has to break us from. And and I I remember this clearly back. I was uh, 18 years old going on 19. And I remember God was really working in my life. I call this, uh, this is the BC days, before I met Christ, back when I was voted most likely not to be a pastor in high school, okay? So, so. I remember those days, and I remember how God was working on me. I remember how empty I was, how miserable I was. And I remember saying to myself, if you don't change, you're going to end up dead. You're going to end up in prison. Something bad is going to happen. And I lived with that, and I had nightmares about it. And so what did I do? I said, I got to work at things, man. I got to work. I, got, I need to get a job and keep it this time. I need to get a job and work because that's what you're supposed to do, work. So I'm going to work, and, man, I'm going to work on my life. I'm going to make change. I'm going to start working out. I need to work out. I just, I'm just, like, living. So, man, and everything was, I'm going to work at it. I'm going to get better. But guess what? I got worse. I got worse. I remember thinking all this and, so I was going to go visit my girlfriend, who's now my wife of 41 years. But uh, I'm going to jog. I'm going to jog. It's a couple miles away. I'll jog. That's the best way to go. I get myself in shape. So I jogged 
all the way over there, a couple of miles, and it's hot in Florida, you know. And uh, but I was young. It was easy back then. <laughs> uh, and uh, so I, I went inside, and I went to the refrigerator, and I remember opening up the refrigerator, and it was like nothing appealed to me. But I knew there was a bottle of Jack Daniels up there in that cupboard. And in all my sweat and in all my thirst, I reached up there, grabbed the Jack Daniels, and quenched my thirst with that. So that made you feel really good, didn't it? No. Because I, I, my soul was at rock bottom. And I remember that moment thinking, it's over for you, man. <laughs> There's no hope for you. And what I didn't realize, God was breaking me. He was making me see my need that I can't save myself. I can't work myself to better my life. And sometime after that, sitting in the back of a church, God preaching the Bible like I am to you. And I remember asking Jesus Christ to forgive me and save me and help me. And when I surrendered to him and his work, and then he put his spirit in me, I was able to make changes. And as I read Scripture and grew in my salvation, a lot of things began to change. That's, way, that's the way it works. It's God's, God's work for you, and then God works through you. Understand? But you have to, you have to seek Him. It's all about believing in His work and allowing His work Within you. Verse 30. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. They don't even hear anything Jesus is saying, they're right back to the physical stuff. We need to see another sign. We need to see another miracle. In other words, we're hungry. We need some more bread. And they're saying, Moses, Moses gave the Israelites bread for 40 years every day. You've only given us one free meal. So can you top that one, Jesus? That's what they're saying. Here's what Jesus says, verse 32. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven. <laughs> Moses couldn't do that. Moses came out of his tent and went, Wow, God's raining bread down from heaven. But it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Now he's getting spiritual again. He's talking about himself. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. So again, they don't hear a thing Jesus says. And Jesus is saying, listen, more important than that manna, God, yeah, God sent manna to the people of Israel to provide for them out in the desert. They had nothing to eat. So God provided for his people. And God always provides for his people. But what he's saying is now God has, he hasn't sent physical bread to eat. He's given 
the bread of God, it's a person. It's not physical food. It's Jesus himself. And Jesus says, this is so much more important than the physical bread you're seeking. God is here to give you eternal life. And then he says, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Here's the sad verse. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Very important statement there. I am the bread of life. That's, the, that's one of the seven I am statements Jesus is going to make, and we're going to see as we go through the gospel of John. It's so important. The amazing thing about him saying, I am the bread of heaven, all these Jewish religious people knew that when Moses, who they're bragging about, talked to God at the burning bush, Moses asked God what his name was. And God said, I am who I am. You tell those Egyptians, I am sent you. So they knew God was saying, that's my name, I am. Now Jesus comes along, he says, I am the bread of life. And he's clearly going to say that he is I am. And instead of them worshiping him as God, that God has come to save them from their sin, they wanted to stone him to death after he said these statements. They wanted to, they, and they did, they put him on a cross. Of course, God orchestrated their evil intentions to work out his sovereign purposes because that's why Jesus came, to die for you and to die for me. I am, God came to save us. And notice, Jesus is talking about I'll give you bread, but then he says, I am the bread. I am the bread. See, this is what we need. We need Jesus. You come in here and say, I need Jesus to do this and do that. No, you need Jesus himself. You need to fall in love with Jesus himself. You need to worship and give your life to Jesus himself. And then those other things will fall into place. I'll talk about it in the end. And this is really sad, isn't it? You're talking... 20,000 people in this crowd to start with. And the crowd is going to continue to dwindle down. And it's like, is there hope for anyone? I mean, they saw miracles. They saw God in human flesh, God speaking to them. But yet they, they did not believe. And this is sad to me. And, you know, we look at our, the state of our world, it's like, man, it's like, a pa- you know, I'm a pastor. Can we save anybody? Everybody's so distracted. Does anybody want to come to God, want to come to Jesus Christ? God always has his people. But the sad thing is, for the most part, people don't last because they don't get what they want from God. I have people say to me sometimes, you know, you got a lot of visitors that come to Freedom Bible Church. We really do. 
And somebody said to me one time, where do all those visitors go? How come they're not all coming back? And I, and I want you all to know, we, we, we just, we're constantly looking for ways to follow up on people. We're constantly calling people who come if they fill out a card. If we see somebody's not here, we try to visit them. We try, we try to follow up on people the best we can. We try to get you plugged in because usually if we get you plugged in, you'll stay and you'll grow and it'll be your church. But can I tell you the honest truth? You want to know sometimes why some visitors don't come back? Because the message gets too personal. See, they come in, and man, the, the music's good, and the sermon was good. I understood what the guy was talking about. But all of a sudden, it's like, hey, wait a minute. That guy is talking straight to me. And he's telling me that I need to surrender my life, that I need to turn from my sin, that I need to give my entire life to God. And all of a sudden, the sitting in the back being comfortable so you can slip in and slip out. The, they're not hearing any mamby-pamby, Casper the friendly ghost, milk toast stuff some of these pastors give people to make them feel comfortable and happy. And they'd rather go to a church where they can sit in the back, come in, come out, and feel good. And that's just not the truth of the gospel. And so some people just, it gets too personal. Those of you that want to surrender to God, that you have met him personally, you like the challenge. You like the growth. You like examining your heart today. You like knowing that you're not going anywhere. It gives you security in your soul and in your spirit. So it's kind of sad. So is there hope for anyone? Because at the end, we're going to see at the end, the whole crowd leaves, all of them, except for the disciples. And Jesus says, you guys want to leave too? And Peter, I love it. Where are we going to go? <laughs> Where are we going to go, Lord? We ain't got no place to go. You have the words of eternal life. He finally gets it. He finally gets it. And that's what, that's what God wants us to get. Where are we going to go? Jesus is the only place to go. He is the only answer. So is there hope for anyone? Watch this, Jesus makes it clear. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. God knows the future. He already knows who his true, true sheep are, his true followers are. And Jesus says, my true followers, the people that have hearts for me, they're going to come to me, and I'm never going to cast them away. Verse 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Guys, he's saying, guys, I left heaven to die for your sins. I don't have my own agenda. We're not starting some earthly kingdom here where we're going to meet everybody's physical needs. I've come to die on a cross and rise again from the dead to give you eternal life. And then he says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should not lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. Jesus says, I'm not going to lose any of my sheep. I know who they are. They're going to come to me, and I'm not going to lose one of them. I love that. 
You need to come next week as we close out Romans 8. Goes out with a bang. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing in this universe can separate you. Not no power, not no person. But you know, there are people who think they can find something. And they're just not reading scripture with the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. It's a done deal. God know, I don't know whose God's sheep are out there. They're acting like goats right now. But they're really sheep that God is drawing to Him. Our job as a church is to go and get them. And get them here. Home where they belong. And yeah, I, I, was, I acted like I was a goat when I was young. But God knew I was a sheep before the beginning of the world. And he worked on me and drew me to him. And the cool thing is, no matter how lousy of a Christian <laughs> I can be sometimes, Jesus will never lose me. And we'll see later on, John. Jesus says, no one. No one can snatch you out of my Father's hand or my hand. That's called eternal security, folks. And when you're in Jesus Christ, you have it. The question is, do you have it? Do you have it? So it's time to take communion. I want, I want to close with one more verse with some application. Because um, I know some of you, I know some of you, as a pastor, I, I talk, I'm constantly talking to people. I know some of you come in here today, and you're like, Frank, I hear you. I need to surrender my life to Christ. Okay, I get that. But Frank, you just have no idea the mess I got going on in my life. Um, I need bread. I don't know where my family is going to get bread. I've got bills to pay. I got relationship problems. I got, you have no idea what's going on in my life, Frank. So, what about all that? Well, Jesus said this in Matthew 6 33 in the Sermon on the Mount, famous verse. When you apply it, it'll take over your life and be powerful. Listen to what he says. He's talking to the crowd of people. He's telling them not to have anxiety. They're chasing after all this physical stuff. They're all worked up. And by the way, to give these people in this story credit, they had no grocery, they had no 7-Eleven down the road to go get bread. So bread was a big deal to them. They didn't know where their next meal was coming from. But Jesus even told them that they were so worried about it. He said, trust in your heavenly father. If he takes care of the birds, he will take care of you. And then he says this, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you seek Jesus Christ, God's kingdom, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, if you seek him with all of your heart, everything else is going to fall into place. 
He's saying all these things that you need, are, he's going to take care of for you. He's not going to give you everything you want. Scratch that out. He's going to give you what you need. God knows what you need. He's going to make sure your needs are met. So I'm telling you, quit striving. Quit striving to try to fix everything and do it all on your own. And fall in love with Jesus Christ. Surrender your heart and life to him the best you know how. Get you a Bible and read it. And apply it. And Jesus will transform your life. Pray with me. Pray with me. We're going to take communion today. And as our men are coming to get ready to pass them out, I'll say a prayer. Um, if, you're, if you are visiting, uh, the bread and the juice are together. So just hold on to that because we like to take it together as a church family. If you, if you eat it too early, you're not going to get in trouble, okay? Just, I just want you make sure your heart is right. Make sure your heart is right as you focus on communion and remembering Jesus, okay? So let's pray, and then they'll pass it out. Father, thank you for this time of communion. I pray that our hearts would be focused on you, Jesus. Bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I think it's important to point out, because I told you Jesus is using all this spiritual language about bread from heaven, and it's important that we understand that, like, this bread, it's symbolic. It's symbolic. It's, it's a physical piece of bread, but it's not Jesus. It's symbolic. We take this as symbols to remember the real Jesus and what Jesus did, it's important for you to know this can't this can't save you. There there are a lot of people that take communion, and it's just it's just religion to them. 
Real communion comes from the heart. Comes from the heart. So when we take this together as brothers and sisters, our hearts remember the real Jesus who died for us, rose again from the dead, and ascended into heaven. And we come to worship him today. And yes, the night before Jesus died for our sins, he took a piece of bread, and they used unleavened bread at Passover. And so it was, it was kind of cracker-like. So when Jesus broke the bread, uh, the bread would break and crumble and be crushed when it was broken and you would eat it and crush it. Symbolic that Jesus would be crushed on that cross for our sins. Our iniquities, our, Isaiah says, were placed upon him. Um, and so this is what we remember. This is the work. This is the work that saves us. We can't save ourselves. So our Savior, Jesus Christ, was crushed on that cross. Remember that he came from heaven and, and put his body on that cross for you and for me. Let's take and remember. And then, of course, when his body was broken open by the beating, by the spikes, by the crown of thorns, blood poured out of Jesus Christ. Precious blood. God's blood. And I said, wait a minute, God doesn't have blood. He, sp he had blood when Jesus was here. <laughs> and he shed his blood. For our sins. Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. No forgiveness. You can't be forgiven. Does going to church shed any blood for you? Being baptized shed any blood for you? Reading the Bible shed any blood for you? Anything that you do, does it shed? No. Christ shed his blood. Without that, there's no forgiveness. So we come today to remember that blood that was shed on our behalf because he loved you. He loved you, and he wants to give you eternal life and, yes, do a work in your heart and soul for the remainder of your days until you get there. Remember his blood that was shed today. Please bow in prayer. And... Um, In this time of prayer, I took communion as a kid. It didn't make any sense to me. It was a religious thing. I didn't understand it. When I became a Christian at 18, 19 years old, man, all of a sudden communion was so real to me. I loved it. And I, my soul was so empty, and I felt so dirty. But when I took communion and I confessed my sin, Asked the Lord to forgive me, and I just felt so clean, spiritually clean. My soul, my, it was like the emptiness went away, and my dirty soul felt clean because God does a spiritual work. So I would say to you today, dear friend, confess, sit there, confess your sins. Tell God your sins. Ask Him to forgive you. Be thankful in your heart for what He's done for you. Be thankful. Be thankful. 
Lord God, <clears throat> thank you so much for these scriptures today to tell us about the bread of life. Lord, thank you for the spiritual work you want to do on our hearts, and our souls, our minds. I pray that we would embrace that. I pray that we would confess the times we're selfish, the times we're seeking after our own physical stuff instead of being focused on the spiritual stuff, the eternal stuff, the most important stuff. Dear God, let that person feel clean today that came in here dirty. Help them to reach out, receive your forgiveness. Lord God, for that, that man, that woman that's struggling and has so much turmoil going on in their life, God, I pray that they'd feel your presence today. I pray that they felt your love. I pray that you would go with them, and I pray that they would see if they seek you first, all these other things will be added as well. You can get us through anything. So, Father, now just pray that, uh, God, our hearts will be filled with thanksgiving as we sing this final worship song and close out the service. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand. Let's sing.